Hey everyone, my name is Dr. Dolores Tarver. I am a licensed psychologist here in Georgia and it is time for this good old tea. Tea Time with Dr. Tarver is a wellness podcast. It is not intended to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed psychologist. So welcome to Stay Safe September, everyone. This is a month that really focuses a lot on protective factors, looking at our health, allowing us to make choices that are going to set us up to be successful and not have so many difficulties when we don't make those good choices. And I really want to focus this month on resiliency. So what can we do to protect ourselves from things that just cause us to be either in unsafe places or situations or not to feel safe within ourselves? So I'm going to be talking this month in this series about things such as healthy sexual identity, boundaries. We're going to talk about some recovery during this month. We are going to just address all the things that will set us up to have the safe spaces that we deserve in our lives. And so the topic for today, um, so I, I've been trying not to follow the R. Kelly trial but I found myself just wanting to check in on the news and just see uh, how things are progressing, how testimony is going. Um, um, you know, I always want to celebrate women who feel empowered to share a story that I know is going to be received with a lot of controversy and feelings about what did you do to put yourself in this situation? How come you stayed this long? If you were my child, I wouldn't have. Your parents allowed you to. You got paid for. All of these things that are coming along with this this, this um, culture that we have of, of blaming people for being traumatized uh, and, and all of the ways that we make excuses for perpetrators. But also, I was in a uh, group, you know, you are, we're in these groups on social media, and there was the discussion about... Um, Megan the Stallion, and I know that she is controversial for a lot of different reasons. In this particular group, she's being highlighted for her efforts to pursue her bachelor's degree. And I was just really struck by this very strong comment and uh, ongoing conversation about this comment regarding that uh, she is not anyone to be celebrated because all she does is perpetuate whole culture. And so I felt like I wanted to start off this month and really address what I feel like is this myth of whole culture and really want to work toward affirming healthy sexual identity. So let's start off by just talking about some things that I want to be really clear with. I am talking about adults, adults who have the capacity to consent to uh, be able to express themselves, to be able to understand their bodies. I very much respect and appreciate and feel like it is needed for us to have appropriate boundaries with our children. They need to be wearing age appropriate clothing. They need to be watching age appropriate videos. They need to be listening to age appropriate music. They need to have their tablets and other media monitored. They need to have restraints and things in place because there are a lot of predators out there. And what we don't want are our children to be exposed to things before they fully even understand themselves as a realized human being. So we're not talking about children in the podcast today. We are 
talking about adults and, and, and very specifically the things that, that affect how we develop as sexual beings in our adulthood. Unfortunately, there are a lot of things that interfere with us developing, I, I feel like in healthy, expressive ways where we can feel true to be who we are um, and express ourselves in ways that make us feel good and valued and pleased. And sometimes what ends up happening, and I am a person who identifies as Christian. I grew up in the Methodist church, AME most of my life, CME when I wasn't AME. Um, and so I am not at all against faith-based institutions and most definitely not against spirituality. Unfortunately, what has happened within some communities, religious communities, is there has been this notion of religion teaching us to repress sexual urges and desires and impulses. And again, I want to be clear, I'm not talking about good, healthy sexual boundaries, knowing when to touch and, and not touch people, respecting people's space. But I mean, just the normal things that we experience as we're growing and developing that are part of our, our, our existence in this world. So yes, we, we do have attractions to people. We do have sensations and urges that we experience in our bodies. And often religion was used to tell us that's not good. Don't touch yourself. Don't let other people touch you. That's not normal. That's sinful. Uh, you need to be chaste. You need to be virtuous. Um, you need to save yourself. And you don't need to sometimes don't even need to be having sex, even when you're married, uh, other than for procreation. So there was no you, you can't be polyamorous. You can't have uh, multiple types of sexual experiences. You definitely can't have multiple sexual partners um, and you definitely need to only be having heterosexual sex. So for a lot of people, they grew up in shame and feeling um, like they were worthless or or they were uh, an embarrassment or a sin or an abomination because those are the messages that they received when they were simply just trying to express themselves or even learn. Sometimes we're just navigating, trying to figure out where we fall on this continuum of sexuality and people just not being allowed to have the time and space to do that, but also media. So whether that's news papers or magazines or social media, radio, podcasts, all of these messages that we receive about our sexuality, what's okay, what's not okay, is that normal? Oh, that's weird. Um, don't people don't do that. What's wrong with you? Or this is really sexy. This is uh, what's attractive. This is who you should be as a person. And so if you don't fall within those constraints, oftentimes you don't feel like you're normal. If you do feel like something's wrong with you or you try to make yourself fit into, which is even worse, try to fit into these roles that aren't comfortable for you. And then you have this internal turmoil. Our families affect us, our peers, our culture that we grew up in, even our workplaces. A lot of these things dictate, unfortunately, our sexuality instead of us getting a chance to explore what feels good for us. So let's talk about this whole culture piece. Now, I am very aware that people are not honest all the time about their intentions when they're engaging in sexual behavior. 
People sometimes feel like this engagement in sex means we're in a committed relationship. That hasn't been discussed, it hasn't been communicated, or people haven't been honest about it and said, why, yes, we are in this committed relationship when you weren't. And I know that people have been in multiple relationships with others and have not shared with their partners that they were in multiple relationships. I am not addressing any of that right now. What I'm addressing when we talk about this whole culture is this notion of people who express themselves sexually in ways that go against whether it's religious views or cultural views or things that were taught in your family or you saw with your peers or families or friends, whoever shaped you and you're not engaging in behaviors in those ways. And so now I'm saying you're being, you're being hopeless, right? So frequently with women, we are painted as this very virtuous, like, oh, you're a mom, you're a, you're a wife, uh, you are, you are chaste. And then the other side of the spectrum is you're a hoe and you out here being fast, you out here, um, just putting your goodies all out on display. You're saying things that are not ladylike and it makes women vacillate between fears of being seen as too prudish because that's the other thing. Oh yeah. You all are, uh, um, trying to be withholding sex. You're, you're a tease, right? So we're on one hand and y'all don't put out on one hand, you're fighting that image. And on the other hand, you also are fighting this image of, well, I got to be really careful what I say, what I talk about that I'm doing. And, and so it, it, it makes a woman feel very repressed sometimes as if she cannot be who she really is or this pressure to live up to some expectation of being this vixen lady in the at home and a freak in the, um, freak in the, the, in the house and a lady in the streets and trying to navigate that. And, and it makes you feel really disintegrated as a woman. And then men are growing up with this notion of being very sexual, hypersexual, um, mandingo warrior, sexual, uh, anything that moves you're trying to have sex with, or on the other end of the spectrum, well, I don't want to live like that. I don't want to have that reputation of being someone who is unfaithful to women, who dogs women out, who just wants sex, who treats women as objects. And so men are also feeling like, okay, on the one hand, if I don't fall into this pattern, then I'm not considered man enough. And if I fall into this pattern, then I'm considered a hoe uh, or, or I'm a dog, right? And so men are also trying to balance these ideas of who they are as sexual beings and either feeling afraid they can't act on their impulses because they'll turn into these horrible people who are just out here taking advantage of women um, and, and not being able to express who they are and what they like. And as you can see, those kind of things are going to create some dynamics within people, anxiety, depression, um, confliction uh, about who they are and who it's okay to be with and how it's okay to, to, to be with people. And, and we start very young with our children doing uh, these kind of things where we're expressing who they can be as, as even little people. That affects their sexual identity as they grow up. When we put that religion or those views, I, I, will, I will never remember, I'll never forget rather, talking to a woman and she was very sincere in this. And it was very hurtful to her in terms of how it was affecting her sexually in her marriage 
But she was taught that once you had children, you no longer can engage in oral sex because you're going to be kissing your children with that mouth. You can't be putting that mouth on on um, sexual organs. And so here I started out being this way in, in our marriage. Now we have children and I'm different. It's causing problems um, because the behaviors have changed and where our sexual intimacy is not the same. But for her, she really felt like that was a violation. It was unclean. It was unhealthy and it could affect her children. And, and you all have heard the, the, the uh, um, we, we frequently say that their, their urban legends are myths. Uh, you masturbate, you'll go blind. But there are people that really, these kind of things were reinforced. That masturbation is unhealthy. It's unnatural. It's not of God. And, and so people don't feel comfortable even touching themselves. So how are they going to feel comfortable with someone else touching them? Or being restricted in terms of who you're able to date. And being able to explore relationships with different people. And so people don't even feel comfortable when they're having urges or they're having attractions to allow their behavior and, and, and who they're attracted to to actually match. It can cause a lot of shame um, within people. And as we know, shame can be very destructive to one's self-esteem and one's sense of worth. But it also makes us fear being rejected or we actually get rejection. When we talk to people about things, we feel like they're safe and then they turn our words against us. And, oh, that's sick. What's wrong with you? You're twisted. And then we go and spread that information to other people. And so it makes people retreat in and not feel like they can be comfortable. And so, yes, you do have people that are hiding their behaviors and, and not because, you know, some of us are, are private, but they're hiding them because they don't want to be judged for them. And the statements we make, I don't want my daughter to end up on the pole. I don't want my, um, my son to be weak and be a punk. I need him to be a man's man. And these messages, what does it say to our children about what is acceptable for them in terms of who they can be that I only will accept parts of you and not the rest of you. And then I grow up and I think the same thing in terms of my interactions with people that you're not going to accept me as a normal valued sexual being. You're either going to sexualize me because, you know, as, as we frequently talk about it, it's much more acceptable for women to have sex with other women than it is for men to have sex with other men and and we sexualize the women having sex so it becomes this fantasy thing for us not really about women being able to express their sexuality in ways that are comfortable for them and so where does that leave us in terms of how we see ourselves when we're being torn down if we express ourselves in in music about what we like sexually uh, if we post on our social media pages if we wear things um, that that promote that we feel comfortable in our in our sexuality. If we uh, have multiple partners, if we're in polyamorous relationships, then we get that look or that like, oh, why are y'all doing that in front of the children? It's you know, so it, it makes you feel as if sometimes you're just nasty. And often when we feel that way, then we are going to be repressed and we're going to have um, of course, some negative consequences in our relationships, not only with ourselves, but with others as a result of that. So let's dispel some myths if we can. Not every woman <laughs> is brought up in a sexually repressed environment. Not every woman who does grow up in a sexually repressed environment grows up to have unhealthy sexual behavioral patterns. Not every woman who sexually expresses herself, lack the father figure 
in her life or does not see her worth. It is absolutely possible to be an integrated woman who likes to be a sexual being, who engages in sexual behaviors, because as I'm dispelling this myth, let me point out that men and women actually don't have very different sex drives. What ends up happening is these other factors that come into play about things like masturbation and if it was um, reinforced for you to be able to express yourself sexually, if you were chastised, if you were um, restricted, if you were punished. Those are the things that end up affecting how we express our sexual desires. What is acceptable, not acceptable. But if you strip away the negative things that are often said and done about us as sexual beings, it really equalizes out in terms of who we are, regardless of gender, as sexual beings. Another myth I want to, or several sets of myths I want to um, uh, uh, kind of expel, is that it is very normal in your 20s to express yourself sexually, to feel more sexually free as you're a young adult getting out of your home. So not every man that is a sexualized being in his, in his um, 18, 19 through the 20 years uh, was overly sexualized growing up or disconnected from other parts of intimacy. It can be very true that a man very much enjoys having sex, has a good sex drive, has, wants to have multiple partners, and there isn't any dysfunction underneath that. He didn't grow up with a controlling mama. He wasn't sexually abused, simply able to express himself, express himself in sexual ways and be comfortable in who he is as a sexual being. So again, you can be an integrated person. You don't have to be a hoe simply because you enjoy sex. You enjoy sex with multiple partners. You enjoy sex with a variety of genders. You enjoy um, sex in a variety of ways and places and, and positions that doesn't make you a hoe. And so it is important for us when we're talking about people not to put judgment onto a person simply because they may have different sexual boundaries than we do. It's important that we have the period of time where we explore our sexuality, learn to love ourselves, know what we like in terms of touching ourselves and other people touching us and being very mindful of how we're talking to other people about who we are as a sexual being and who they are as a sexual being, they don't always match up. You may absolutely have different sex drives. You can have different sexual interests and needs and wants and desires, and that's okay. Again, the goal is consensual, healthy, enthusiastic sex, right? So finding the appropriate partner for you. I think it's also really important that we are um, able to be honest with where we are. So when we're talking to people, we're coming from this place of comfort in who we are so we can be honest with them about who we are. So we don't set up these dynamics where I'm not being transparent. And then that ends up causing some problems later on because expectations uh, were not met because we, we discussed them, but we weren't honest about them. And so we're really in two different types of dynamics. And then I also think it is important that we are looking at ourselves, right? So instead of me thinking about what's wrong with what you're doing over there, how you're expressing yourself, what you're saying, uh, what you're doing um, in terms of your sexuality, let me look at myself, right? Because different doesn't mean deficient. 
But let me look at myself and encourage what shaped my sexual identity. How did I become the sexual being I am today? And does it align with who I'm attracted to, what I like, what I desire, what I want? And if it's not in alignment, then let's talk about how we can get back in alignment. So what are some questions that I do need to ask myself? I am talking to myself about, hey, where are you, friend, in this sexual journey? Where are you in terms of your being an integrated sexual being? Um, first, always in engaging in any type of sexual activity is is there that enthusiastic consent, right? So are both parties able to consent? That is very important. And are both parties actually aware of everything that they are consenting to? So we want to make sure, again, that we're being open and honest. Is my attraction and my behaviors matching? Is what I like, what gives me that passion and that, and that desire, what turns me on? Am I doing those kinds of things or am I repressing myself because I feel like I'll be judged or it, this behavior won't be reciprocated or, it'd be, or it will be met with this person leaving me, abandoning me, feeling like I'm, I'm deficient or odd or um, not enough in some way. Um, our boundaries before sex, am I talking about those? Am I talking about our protection and what we're using? And, 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 and oftentimes those are superficial conversations and they really need to not be as superficial as they are. Particularly if you know you are not in a committed relationship with this person, you know you don't wanna have any children and you wanna be very mindful of sexually transmitted infections. So we need to have more of a conversation about how we're going to protect ourselves because we get comfortable the longer we're with people, some, sometimes we get comfortable when we have to be with people that long. And so we're not engaging in healthy sexual practices. What do I like? What do I dislike? What's on the table? What is absolutely off the table? And making sure that we discuss that ahead of time. I don't want to be in this place of having sex. And then all of a sudden I tell you I'm not comfortable with something that you're doing. It can really affect your self-esteem in the sexual moment and it can affect this sexual intimacy that we're having. So let's talk about that ahead of time. And yes, I know that there are a lot of things that you all may try sponta um, spontaneously, but I also know that there are some things that you know, regardless, you don't want to do. So let's go ahead and address that. Are we having multiple sexual partners? Are we the only people having sex with each other? Are we having multiple sexual partners? Are we thinking about inviting multiple sexual partners into uh, this sexual experience that we're having? Sometimes we don't negotiate those things and we put people in situations that make them feel uncomfortable and violate their boundaries. We want to talk about that. We want to be honest about that because I don't ever want anyone to say they're okay with something that they're not okay with. And so we want to make sure that we're able to have good, healthy sexual communication. We also want to make sure that we have good sexual health, right? So do we know how to take care of ourselves, our, our, our genitalia, our, our, right? The body is important, what we put into it, uh, what we put on it. All of those things matter, how we clean it. So we want to make sure we're addressing those kind of things because those can cause problems as well and not make you feel good about yourself, right? And that's part of that communication, being able to say, hey, here's what's affecting my sex drive. This is what's going on with me currently. Um, so I don't want you to see any surprises uh, during this experience. Um, when we have changes in, because sometimes we do, um, we may adapt and want to do different things and maybe not get as much pleasure out of things we used to do before. Or, uh, you know, some people like to kind of stay in, in a bubble with it. So, right, we need to discuss, okay, what, 
maybe that's not working for me anymore. We need to switch things up. What's going on with me? And our feelings, like we're going to be anxious. Sometimes sex is uncomfortable, especially the first time you have it. You're getting to know people and, and, and trying to feel comfortable navigating the space, right? So being able to talk about that, being able to talk about things that I, I'm not as good with that. Oh, yeah, I feel a little awkward with that or embarrassment or shame or whatever it may be that's going on. Being able to talk about, hey, the medications I'm taking and how that might be affecting me or physical conditions, positions maybe that aren't comfortable for me, right? So I need to be able to talk to you about those kind of things and when to stop. Right? We don't want to have pain. Um, you know, I know there's that that edge right there on the verge. Right. But we don't want anyone to leave and, and they need to. Um, go see a, a medical provider uh, after after some type of engagement. Right. And we don't we want to make sure we're asking questions that aren't overwhelming to people. Sometimes we can have conversations. It's just too long and it's just too much and it can be overwhelming for people. So let's be mindful of, of how much we're presenting to a person at a time. And is there other ways for us to discuss this books, movies, um, podcasts, different things that come up that take the pressure off of it being on us and talk more about, okay, here are some of the things that, you know, I like, or that's cool. That's a good topic. Or what do you think about this? Right. So it introduces things without all that pressure. And you do want to ask yourself, am I setting aside time to be able to address the things that are important to me in terms of my sexual experiences? Am I making time for intimacy? Am I making time for romance? Am I making time for foreplay and cuddling and, and kissing? And everybody's a little different in terms of what they want, but we don't ever want to get it to a point where we're so comfortable. We stop asking people, we stop checking in with people about what is important for them. Uh, what, what does that person need in order for them to enjoy this experience? And what do I need? Right? So we want to make sure we're always checking in about that. And then as we just talk about developing a healthy sexual identity, starting in childhood there are a lot of good tips out there for what to do you can start with at birth with touch touch is such an important part of our identity um, as just regular human beings even beyond uh, the intimacy component um, the touching of the face and the caressing of hands and hugs and kisses and rubbing hair like all of those things skin contact eye gaze all of those things are so important as you're developing your sense of self your comfort in your body your comfort with other people so those begin from from birth and teaching children how to be able to receive that and how to express that is really important and being able to nurture get nurtured by both parents oftentimes i'll hear uh people say well they're yours until they potty trained um or they're yours until they can they can walk or they're yours until no we both need to be engaging from the start them hearing both of our voices them feeling both of our uh caresses them being held by both of us them being um nurtured and and when when they're hurting they can come to both of us and i do know that children can favor sometimes one parent over the other but that doesn't mean you don't attempt and you're not right there and you you um work to that point of allowing this child to feel more comfortable with you being in in their space um affirm your children and how they express themselves how they wear their hair how they dress um when they talk about their little crushes uh, when they talk about their friends, they talk about their interests. You want to affirm them in a variety of ways and you don't want to restrict it to their gender. Oh, that's good for you being a girl or oh, boys aren't usually good at that. Right. We want to make sure that we're affirming them as in a, a human being who has an identity. 
uh, right? Because what ends up happening is inadvertently most of the time we're saying um, very gender stereotype type things. And so kids are growing up with these misperceptions about differences in, in who they are, what they can do, what's acceptable in terms of even being able to connect with others and have good boundaries. So we have to be really important about our language. We have to be mindful that we're teaching gender equity early on, that we are telling them they're amazing person. <laughs> um, that, that, yeah, if you um, little son want that pink ball, then, hey, that's what I'm going to get you because you want a pink ball. And we're not going to make a big deal about, well, boys don't have pink balls. No, the boys can have a pink soccer ball if they want to because uh, they just like the color pink. Right. And so we're not going to make it an issue. And we often put things onto our children. We sexualize them. We make statements that make them not feel comfortable in their skin. And so it makes them have body shame early on. And so they're not comfortable and we want to make sure that they are comfortable. We want self-esteem to be intact and developed at an early age. And that means with us. So when we teach them that they're important, that other people are important, how they can contribute as a good human being and show up and, and, and be compassionate, that makes a difference. That makes them feel good and it allows them to also be able to feel good from stuff that they're doing and receiving in the world around them, right? So we're teaching them how to show up and, and be good folks and, and contribute to this place in which we live. So we want to reinforce the types of things that are going to allow them to have um, more opportunities to engage in sexual equality as they age, right? We want to talk to them about terminology um, that is important for them to understand. Like I, I, you know, and I've shared this with you all before, uh, little girls should not be referring to their vaginas as their pocketbooks, right? So little boys should not be um, referring to their penises as uh, uh, down there, right? my special area, right? Like it's a penis, it's a vagina. Let's give them the language so they can understand because that's shame inducing as well. Like I can't even talk about what it really is. And, and we want to make sure when we're talking to them about anatomy, we don't say, well, boys have this and girls don't, or girls have this and boys don't. Boys have this, girls have this. Some people actually have both, right? So we want to make sure that we're talking to them about things that will help them understand their peers, be accepting of their peers, um, be able to respect their peers in different ways. And there are a lot of books and resources. So I don't want you all to feel like you got to figure this out on your own. You don't, right? Teaching healthy gender roles. Everybody in the house should be able to do everything. Sis can take out the garbage. Brother can wash the dishes, right? So we want to make sure that we're, because this is how we teach um, the importance of everybody's responsible for the home. So when you get into partnerships, you don't end up getting into positions where someone is doing the majority of work because you feel like, well, I shouldn't have to do that. I only take care of the outside. You take care of the inside. I don't take care of the kids. You take care of the kids. I, I go and do this stuff. No, we can all do both because we're all going to need to do both. And so if we teach our kids this from an early age, this allows them to grow up as, as people who have good gender um, uh, boundaries, but also have good sexual boundaries when they're negotiating things, when they're talking about, hey, this is what I like, I don't like, I did all of these things, so I have a good sense for, for what I like and what I don't like. It helps kids have voices too, to expose them to different things, give them different skills, allow them to be developed in a variety of areas. It helps with their 
um, intimacy. It helps with their communication. It helps with them being able to speak up for themselves and, and, and not be so fearful. So these are important things as we're talking about developing our sexual identity. And, you know, in talking to kids, it doesn't necessarily have to be sex, right? We're talking about age appropriate things, but I can talk to you about using your voice. I can talk to you about respect for others. I can talk to you about comfort in your body. I can talk to you about appropriate touch for your body. I can um, talk to you about some of the things you're feeling in your body, your sensations, where you feel them at, right? So these are conversations that are age appropriate. And we want to make sure that we're doing that. We want to give our kids an opportunity to have input. I know that some of us grew up in a generation where kids were seen and not heard. Um, but those days are gone, right? So we want to make sure that our kids, that doesn't mean they have to negotiate every single thing, but yeah, like, Hey, here's the list of chores. Which of these things do you want to do for this week? We'll mix them up, right? Or, Hey, we are going to, um, pick a movie tonight. You get to pick, right? So we're giving them choices and options. Like here's a, um, a plate of vegetables. Which of these would you like to try today? Right? We're giving them options. Here are two outfits. Uh, which of these would you like to wear? So they're able to express themselves what they like and don't like. And when you, they say, I didn't like this vegetable too much. What didn't you like about it? Okay, well, let's try this one. How do you feel about this one? Does that one taste a little different? Yeah, that one tastes a little different. That one's not as bitter or it's um, the texture of it doesn't feel as strange on my tongue, right? So we're giving them an opportunity to give feedback to about some things instead of forcing them. We don't want to force them to hug and kiss folks and sit in people's laps. And we also don't want to force foods on them either. We want to give them an opportunity to explore and try different things, but be able to have their voice uh, around some things and not, you know, remember those days where you used to sit at the table and eat those peas and you're sitting there for hours, you fall asleep, right? So that wasn't helpful for us in terms of us being able to develop um, our identities. Uh, it, it made us feel like we're, there were just things we were forced to do and that can translate over into our sexual identity. So we want to make sure that we don't do that. We want to talk to kids about different types of relationships normalize and discuss the relationships with your friends and with people that you like and boys and girls and um so they don't feel like they can't talk to you about who they may be attracted to or who they may like or who they may um want to spend more time with right and we want to help them understand their motivations toward well why do you like this person Right. So that's probably more of a constructive conversation. What is it about this person that you like spending more time with them than you like these other people? Right. So that allows kids to be able to develop into like, hey, here are some of the things that are important to me about engaging with other people. The goal is for you to love yourself and be a fully realized sexual being who can respect other people's expressions of sexuality and their boundaries. They don't have to be the same in order for them to be okay, all right? You all be well.